You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Alex Honnold once said that being in Black Diamond's solution harness feels like home. And that's either a ringing endorsement from one of the best or a desperate cry for help. The royal we here at the Enormacast is just going to assume it's the former, because the latter is quite complicated. And besides, we climb in a solution too. Not a sport harness or a trad harness, it's the one harness that stays in my pack for everything, because it's comfy and svelte without all the extra muckety-muck. I mean, really, what's a full-strength haul loop actually for? Anyone? Anyone? Neither Smoot or Holly can tell you why you'd ever want 2,000 pounds hanging off your ass while you're climbing. So feel like you're home in a cleanly designed, comfortable solution harness from Black Diamond. And check out all their soft goods at blackdiamondequipment.com or your favorite retailer. Black Diamond, a proud sponsor of the Enormacast. So let's say you've taken the advice you've heard on the Enormacast and played it ice climbing cool with that special climbing friend, going on trip after trip like your family, even though you've had the hots for him or her since they burned you off your proj and flips in a ratty pair of Yojimbos from the Lost and Found. Well, if the perfect belay isn't conveying your longing, perhaps the climbing-inspired jewelry and accessories of Peter Gilroy will help you put the punctuation on that date. That's not a date. It might be a date. A climbing date. At PeterWGilroy.com, you'll find jewelry, money clips, belt buckles, hats, and more, all inspired by the rock and the mountains on which your love has flourished. So please... Before you resort to the lean-in or the forgotten sleeping bag or the embarrassing confessional after a 12-pack around the campfire, try a classier approach with a spectacular gift from PeterWGilroy.com. And if you crash and burn, know that Peter and Enormacast still appreciate your support, even if your partner does short-rope you to the curb. And remember, enter Enormo at checkout for a discount. But keep that part to yourself. We Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? You, are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big house. place. Sold that's, it out. Town. that's a big nice. place. You sold What's it that out. I'll say you really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed having them with you. We'll make I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, with support from Maxim Ropes. And the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Enormacast. This is your host, Chris Kalous. It is August 2nd, about 9 o'clock in the morning here in Carbondale, Colorado, 2018 still. Yeah, 9 in the morning. What's going on? I don't know if I've ever done one in the morning. Maybe, but uh, usually it's late night. So here I am. I can do the old Mark Marin thing where he drinks the coffee on air. In this case, my beloved bonfire, formerly Defiant Bean. And then he says something about pooping, right? Anyhow, this is episode 156. 
which is part two of a conversation with artist, photographer, climber, Dean Fidelman. If uh, you want to hear about how this interview came to be and all that normal stuff that I put here, go back and listen to part one. In fact, part one, not quite essential to understanding part two, but you might as well put them together. So if you haven't listened to the last episode, it's in your feed, part one. Check that out and then come back for part two. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Not talk about Dean ahead of time like I often do. Let's just get uh, get to the interview, except for, of course, the commercial. And go ahead and listen to part one first. It'll help. Good day. If there's one thing the Italians understand about this world, it's that if something ain't Baroque, don't fix it. And that's why Sportiva has faithfully kept its tried-and-true venerable classics in the line. The Mira, the Solution, and the Testarossa still outperform the latest flash-in-the-pan shoes out there. And they're also still built in a European monastery by silent septuagenarian craftsmen who may or may not be lawfully entitled to six smoke breaks a day. So when it comes to shoe performance, what's it going to be? The latest or the greatest? Personally, I'll go with the greatest every time. So check out both the latest and the greatest at Sportiva.com or your favorite local shop. Sportiva is a proud sponsor of the Cast. This art, like the, these old photos, they really touched this chord in, in me. And I, and I thought, you know, that's your best work. And, and you made the work for the pure joy of, of making work. And then you tried to do fashion or you did fashion or whatever and music. But, but there was no joy and you were chasing money, and then you went back to climbing these climbing photos and, and making portraits of people, and you know, like, and and you're happy with that, but but now you're start, you're chasing money again, you know, for your work, and I I, I don't want to do that, and and um, and I thought, you know, what do you really want to do? And I thought, I don't know. I go, what do you really like? And I go. I, I think it was really high and I may have been eating a Reese's peanut butter cup. And I thought about it for a second. I go, it's peanut butter and chocolate. I go nude rock climbing. It kind of came to me in that way, you know, and I would actually thought about it from the very first. And I thought this could be a really interesting thing. Cause I had been making nudes and, and, and they were, I consider them art nudes that I'd been making for years with, you know, models, girlfriends, friends you know um and they're all black and white and and i'd been studying nudes since i started making photography and uh, and as much as i had been studying climbing photography since i started making climbing photography Mm -hmm. and i could see the tradition and the way you needed to do things and so i i felt i could do this and also it seemed like my best climbing photographs were bouldering mostly in boulder problems that i had done first descent or back or whatever just pictures of our friends bouldering. Those are always beautiful photographs because I fully understood bouldering and the environment, how it fit together. And then by that point, I understood photography fairly well with light. And um, so I I decided to make these photos. And at that same time, Charles Cole uh, had given me a camera of his to use. It was a Pentax 6x7. And I said, I want to make these climbing nudes. He goes, that's a good idea. I go, okay. And he goes, use my camera. And I go, cool, you know. And he goes, what else do you need? I go, I could use a little money. And he goes, I'll give you $2,500. So he did. 
Uh, and then um, I went out to Joshua. I was living in Joshua then at the Gordon Ranch. And I would see Jim Bridwell all the time, ever since I was 16 years old when I first met him. Uh, and he smoked all my weed and <laughs> made me a stone master or made me part of SAR. I'd always seen him, and I would go down there all the time when I was living in Joshua. So I went down there on the way back, and I said, oh, man, I got this camera, I got this money to make these, these, these photographs, these, these climbing photographs, nude, nude girls climbing rocks. I have this idea. And Bridwell goes, that's a brilliant idea, Bullwinkle. You know why? And I go, no, why, Jim? And he goes, because girls just love to get naked. <laughs> and I was like, ah, that never occurred to me, Jim. But I, I'll see if this happens. Um, it's not, been, I, my, it's not <laughs> been my experience. It's not but, been my uh, experience. Thank you, Jim. <laughs> but I did have photographs of some of the other nudes that I had done, which were mostly studio nudes mm -hmm. and environment. Um, so I showed some, I think, to Rebecca and, and Chelsea Griffey and a few other people. But Rebecca had trusted me enough because she had worked with me, you know, making photographs for 510. So, she, yeah, she, she, she was fine with it. And uh, she didn't even boulder that much back then. She was more of a venture climber and, mm -hmm. you know, racer and that sort of thing. But uh, she, she made a photograph. You know, and I thought, gosh, you know, I hope that the, that the body doesn't, like, stand out against the rock. I was thinking that maybe it's just not going to be right. I don't know how, but... And when I made those photographs and I processed that film, because film like love takes time, <laughs> unlike digital, which happens in a moment. That's not love. Anyway, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's something else. Yeah. Um, and I saw them and I, I think I, um, you know, I printed them up and they, they were good. I thought they were really good. I mean, and looking back in hindsight, my work has gotten a lot better and, so I go by the, the Lynn Hill adage, I will be better next time. So everything I'm always trying to be better at. Um, and uh, it went from there. And she told other people at the Rock Creation Gym. And since they trusted her, there was this bond. And I also knew that, you know, Rebecca and I were friends. and, and But, you know, she, friends in the sense of the Stone Master friends that I had. And all the climbing friends that I have where you instantly trust that person. And in and, and a very strong, much stronger way than perhaps a co-worker or something. Uh, and so I think she trusted me and we made these photos and, and she was able to put that forward. And I realized that. Uh, and when I made these photos, the main thing besides struggling to make this photo and knowing the boulder problem and the light and all the stuff and getting the, the, the woman to climb it was trust. I knew that was that was the whole thing here was trust. And I knew that I was walking a path. And I felt, you know, by this time in my life, this was like 40, 42. I knew that I'd been on a path and I was going to do this. And I knew I wanted to make a book and I knew I, you know, I wanted to be the Stone Masters, but this was going to be my book. And I was going to do this for 10 years. This is 1999 and, you know, 2010 whenever, uh, I'm going to make a book. So, um, I, I understood that you had to totally respect the people you're working with. You you had to keep your energy focused on making the photograph, but also making that person feel relaxed. And you don't make uh, a, a woman who gets naked in front of you that doesn't know you feel relaxed by hitting on them <laughs> or giving them any sexual energy. Right. You make them feel beautiful in that moment, and you make sure that they understand this is what's going on, that you're making this art together. And that these terms mean something and that's how you're approaching it. 
And you do that simply by walking that path and being who you're going to be and making the photos. And, and so I, I liked, I liked it a lot and, uh, everything, the first calendar is made in Josh tree. And then the second calendar was kind of Yosemite. And I met uh, a really important woman in my life. Her name is Elizabeth Yu. And, uh, she was much younger than me. And, uh, we made some photographs and she had been going out with a friend of mine, Cedar Wright, who introduced me to her. But anyway, we ended up um, in a relationship and she kind of threw a lot of her energy into helping the calendar happen. Mm -hmm. She, you know, is young and she knew about the Internet and a super intelligent person and helped get it, it, it to the point where at least I could sell calendars online. Well, and that sounds funny to everyone now, but we're talking about. Yeah. The ground level. Yeah, the internet. ground level, 2000, yeah, yeah, 2001. Yeah. Yeah. And when, it, it has not been yeah. here forever. So. When you had to be like, I think she was 23 at the time. You had to be 23 to understand the internet. Yeah, yeah. And totally. I had no idea. Well, and, you know, and, and before we move on from that mm -hmm. first calendar, you know, I was working there. Right. And I think, I mean, like we were saying, several, if not most of the women in that first calendar either worked or climbed at that gym. Yeah, exactly. And it was interesting because... You know, obviously when women look at pictures, a lot of women, men too probably, but um, pictures of themselves, they're, they're a little self-conscious. And mm -hmm. now they're nude, so they're very self-conscious. But the, but the overall, I remember distinctly, the overall vibe was proud of what you it, had done and right. what they had done. Exactly, and what we had done. We, yeah. I mean, we were all very casually like looking at these photos and being like, wow, that's amazing, you know? Yeah. And it was, you know, because there's... And we, we can talk about that, this yeah. this path of like trying to make sure that people understand this as this artistic thing you want to do. And that's, you know, climbers are a bunch of immature. And uh, it's just, you know, it's fun and, you yeah, know, no, snickery it's and everything yeah, yeah, else. And there's there's definitely gotten... things to be made fun of in there and stuff like that. But <laughs> I just definitely is. remember everybody being like, wow, this this is really nice. And the, the, the women being quite proud of what they'd done yeah. and how it looked and how you'd made it look. So And, and it's continued. You know, right up to, mm -hmm. this, to this day, it's continued that uh, my job as an artist and a photographer, whatever I'm doing here is to, in my heart, is to love that person when I look through that camera. And I understand when you love someone in reality or something, your vision changes, that their face looks different, their mm -hmm. movements or the place. Like when you fall in love with Yosemite or Boulder, Colorado, or, you know, the black Canyon or wherever you fall in love with that place, it, it changes now because you see it with love. Your eyes see that love. And so when I'm looking through the camera, I do love that person. And so when I see them, I'm looking for the most beautiful balanced. And when, when a climber is balanced, they are beautiful because that's what we climb. We strive for is to climb mm -hmm. in that balanced way. Right whether it's overhanging or not, you're balanced and everything is pulling in the right way. You're going to look as beautiful as you possibly can. You're going to get joy out of that movement. And so I found that my, my whole thing was to set the environment, which is a landscape, make a landscape basically with a boulder in it and, and let the woman, uh, her body's going to mimic that landscape simply because she's climbing on that landscape. And, and if she's balanced, that means that she's climbing with the holds given by that landscape. And she's going to look beautiful because the landscape looks beautiful and the light looks beautiful. And that's what happens. And she feels that. And she's not looking at me in the eyes. I'm not trying to pull something out of her. I'm saying, climb. Stop. And I get in the down climb a lot, too. 
because down climbing definitely looks different than when you're going up and it's kind of an interesting experience. And I think seems like about 80% of the people who've done this, my models or my climbers, or I call them my collaborators, um, or my muses, which is a different thing, have said one, they've never felt as comfortable around someone being naked. And, and two, that they really enjoyed the experience. They had a lot of fun and felt, you know, um, very safe in making these photographs. So that's one of the things that's driven this 20 years forward Mm -hmm. that, and like early on in the stone masters, you know, getting in a car with backer and Tobin and, and driving to the needles or driving to Colorado or just driving to Yosemite on road trip. Um, and the anticipation when you're going to get there. And I love that. I love it a lot. And so in, in the last 20 years in stone news, I've gone kind of all over the world and definitely all over the United States to Colorado quite a bit. Cause I've had, a, I have a ton of friends here in Boulder. Um, and I always love, you know, putting the cameras in the, in the car and like with a half hour out and I'm smoking some dope and I'm driving down the road. <laughs> it's a bad thing, but I realized that this is what I'm, I live for because mm-hmm. there's going to be some photographs on the other end and I'm going to fall in love for a few minutes with that person. And then I'm going to go on to the next and, and it's, and it's about climbing and it's about a landscape that I loved, which is the vertical and the rock. And it's about a community that I, I feel I have very deep roots in and a lot of respect for. Um, and that was also one of my main things when I decided to start making photographs again, I go, what, what can I bring to climbing? And, and that is something that my mentors like Jim Brigwell and, and backer and Glenn Danny. And a lot of people have said, looked at me and said, well, Dean, what can you bring to climbing? What can you bring to climbing? And, um, I thought I can bring art because you can't have culture without art. And it seems like climbing is appropriated everyone else's art from all these other cultures. And I want something that comes up within, just like Len Danny, just like Tom Frost, just like all those other guys, just like Greg Epperson and and Jimmy Chan and all, you know, the whole, you know, tradition. I I want to bring this art to it. I want to make these photographs that are just for the sake of making these photographs. And they're not going to be selling shoes or harnesses or Mm -hmm. clothes or anything. And so that was part of that whole thing that brought me into the stone nudes. And, um, the desire to make that Stone Master book persisted. So we're at the 20th anniversary of yes. Stone Nudes. Um, that one's not out yet. No. Okay, so the, and this will be the last, you think? This will be the last. I'm doing a Kickstarter yeah. for that one. Okay. Um, and has there been one every year for 20 years? Yes, there have. And there's been one best of. So there's okay. Been, yeah, but there okay. was two in 2002. There was a men's and a women's. Okay. Uh, because my friend Elizabeth, or my, uh, my partner at the time, um, said, I want you to make amends too. And I go, okay. So I made amends and it was all my friends and mm-hmm. it was a blast, mm-hmm. but it was kind of scary because each guy wanted to outdo the other guy and be up higher off the ground, <laughs> naked soloing. Uh, and it was a <laughs> financial had a completely disaster. different vibe. Yeah. I was about, actually, it's funny you say that. I was like, Great how did that one sell? Not at all. <laughs> I think I bought one and then my mom bought one. Oh, man. Elizabeth was the one funding it. She was not happy at all. All right. But, um, <laughs> And so, yeah, and, and within that 20 years, you know, when I, uh, the Stone Monkeys came about. So that's when, you know, like the early 2000s, there was Cedar Wright and, and um, Dean Potter and Micah Dash and a, a, a host of other climbers 
that were living that lifestyle in Yosemite. And I was living that too. And I was making this calendar and that brought me this sort of cachet with everyone else coming in. Plus I was still making my photographs of them, very quiet photographs, just, you know, portraits and hanging out and then climbing photos with Dean because we, Dean and I hit it off and Dean helped me out. He was one of my best friends I've ever had. He's one of those guys like Charles, like, like Lynn, like other people that believe in you. And you can never have too many of those. Um, and Dean, he believed in me really early on. I made some of the very first photos of him for Boreal and then for 510 and then onward. Um, and, you know, the rangers were chasing us and we were bivvying out in the meadow and, and the Hoobers were there and it was like a big party. And all the Germans would show up and we'd all party with them. And it was a really cool energy and everybody knew I was doing this and everybody knew a woman that they wanted to see naked. So they would talk to her and then I would close the deal. <laughs> and, you know, and it was all just part of this really fun time for a very long time of all these young climbers, both men and women, making their mark in Yosemite, free climbing Yosemite walls, doing really hard solos, kind of like what it was like in the 70s. Going and, fast. And, and going fast. And that hadn't been happening since the 70s, in my opinion, in some ways though it was, but in so many numbers with such a dirtbag mentality. Well, and also you were back to this, this group idea. Right. And you, you're right. I think you're right about the 80s in that it was, you know, there was things happening, but we, we talk about these individual sort of giants. Of exactly. Like Levinson, mm -hmm. um, people like that, Randy Levitt. And so, yeah, I don't, it didn't feel like this collective. And then the Stone Monkeys felt is that right yeah, yeah the stone monkeys came yeah together. they felt like a collective again yeah so I mean, that was your your place yeah, that was, that was your, my place i right. felt really comfortable right. just making these photographs and, mm -hmm. and 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 enjoying the second time around as much as i possibly could mm -hmm. just because i knew that this was the second time around and i was feeling so lucky right you feel really lucky when you're in a situation you go oh man if you can really see what's happening you go oh my god it's come around twice my gosh here i am Wow, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm in my 40s now, and I'm the old guy here, and but I'm living in the meta with all these other people, and, you know, and we're just loving life, you know, and I'm making these photos, and I'm making all kinds of photos, and sometimes, I, you know, someone wants to buy one, and I sell it to them, and I make these calendars. I never made any money on the calendars. Every calendar kind of lost money. A couple of them broke even, but it, it felt like it was part of my entire life right. because I would go to Moab in the winter, and Dean was living there with Steph, and, and all the monkeys would show up mm -hmm. and, and Sean Leary had a place and, you know, we would hang out there and then I'd go see to Boulder and Lenny was here and eventually Cedar Wright moved here. And so every place I was going, I was still dealing with monkeys and people that I knew and I was sleeping on Micah Dash's, you know, couch for, for years, you know, and he would, Micah would call me up and he'd go, oh yeah, come to Boulder. I go, well, what's the weather like? He goes, weather? Well, it's been a bit snowy, but it's clearing up. It's going to be great. And I would get there and he know full well it was just going to snow. Right. But he wanted me around. Right. And gave me a place to sleep because maybe I'd be at my mom's place in Santa Cruz or my sister's or what have you. Um, so it was all part of that life. And I would make photographs of them and I'd make my stone nudes. And it was all really kind of not a lot of money, but enough to get by. And, and they would buy plane tickets for us to go places, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and then like Jose Pereira died and, and reality sunk in. You know, and I was like, I was feeling, feeling good about everything uh, with the stone news was going well, but you know, I still wanted to, to make that stone master book. Cause I kind of felt like those words, like what, and especially Birdwell saying, what do you have to bring to climbing Dean? 
and and I felt I had done something with the calendar, and I had worked with magazines and done you know a fair amount of editorial, and I liked that because they let me be dean, and and most like Dwayne Raleigh at Rock and Ice, he just lets Dean be Dean, just give me what you do, and we're going to be happy, and you know, I don't even have to invoice somewhere, he just sends me the money, he knows Dean, and he just, and the others would figure that out, and just he, this guy is not like the rest of them, he's going to make these photos whether you pay for them or not. See, he's going to make this podcast where yeah, he pays for yeah, anyone yeah, pays for it or yeah, not. It doesn't it's matter. Kind of my deal too. It's, it's part of yeah, exactly. It's part of your life, and and this is what I decided is to make that part of my life. I wanted me, and then that comes back from you know, really early in photography school. There was this photographer named um, um, Alfred Stieglitz, and he kind of made the first American gallery in New York and exhibited American artists. Anyway, he was Georgia Keefe's um, husband, who was an amazing uh, woman painter. Uh, American. He said, you never have to leave your backyard your entire lifetime to make something, you know, your entire uh, body of work as an artist. You never have to leave your backyard if you don't want to. And and I realized that, that the world was my backyard in a way. Yosemite was my backyard, you know, Colorado Woods, my backyard, Utah, all these places that where people climb, where the monkeys were, where my friends were, the friends of my friends were, uh, was my backyard. And, and so, um, I had a, I was getting a much fuller understanding of who I was and uh, what I felt I could bring to climbing. And, and then I met Glenn Denny uh, through Dean Potter and Jane Sievert, the editor of Patagonia, when, when Glenn was making his first book. And I, I saw the photos, you know, really early on, all of them. I'd never seen all of Glenn's photos. No one, no one had. And then I saw all these photos and I was just, it, was, it took my breath away. Mm-hmm. Because this is the stuff that inspired me as a, as a kid growing up. And here's all of them. Not only that, but Glenn immediately, he knew who I was. He loved my work, my calendar. And he immediately opened himself up to me in the process of how to make a book. Uh, because uh, I wanted to make a book. And I, I expressed that early on. And, and, and he allowed me to follow him through that process. And he invited me to his place in San Francisco. And as soon as I came in, I could see against the far wall, there was all these photo boxes. I knew how to have negatives and prints in them, right? And these are all his personal things because he's making this book. And I was there with someone else and, and Glenn and that other person were talking. And I started to walk toward the far, far wall. And I see Glenn looking at me. And I got down on my knees. And I picked up a box. And I looked up at Glenn. And he's looking at me and he just nodded. And they turned around and continued the conversation. I started going through all the boxes. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. That's like it was, a Bruce Lee moment, you know? Yeah. Like the, the master gives you the The master the just signals. like, yeah. just a little right. nod of his head. Right. And he just turned around and yeah. engaged in the conversation. And so I saw, you know, this very raw work and these shoeboxes full of negatives. And it was incredibly inspiring. So um, I called up John Long and... Uh, he had recognized my number by that time and he, he just let it go to voicemail. And so I was like, oh, a little frustrated. This is like 2007 or so. And, uh, I ran into backer and I told him about this book and he goes, I think it's a fucking great idea. He goes, yeah, that's a great idea. Um, and then I didn't see him for another few months and I get this call in the middle of the night and it was backer and he's drunk. And he goes, you got to make that book. He goes, you're the only one who can make that book. And I go, what book? He goes, the Stonemaster book. 
I go, well, I need John Long to make the book with me because he's the guy who written all the stuff about the Stone Masters. And he goes, yeah, whatever. You're the only one who can make this book. You have to make this book. And then he hung up. And I remember running into him like six months later and saying, I'm, I'm making this book. And he goes, what book? <laughs> but uh, so I gave John Long a call. And of course, I didn't get anything back. And I was like, I need to manifest this book. You know, I, I need to put that out there. So I started telling people I was going to make this book without even having an idea how I was going to make this book mm -hmm. and if John was going to do it. And, uh, and I continued making the calendar. And uh, like in 2007, I got a call in the fall and it was John. And he goes, I got this publisher who's interested in making that book, the Stone Masters book you want to make. And he goes, I, I have the time to make that. Would you be interested? And I go, I thought to myself, I go, I've been begging him. And now he's come to me. And I go, and now is the time to get some payback. Not even. Now is the time to take control of this thing. Because this is what you're born to do. I just felt it in that moment on that phone call. And I go, I go, I'll make the book, but under one condition. He goes, what? I go, we self-publish. And he goes, all right. And so we had some meetings and we had this really great chemistry working together that on that book it was amazing chemistry. Um, he started digging up his old writings and he realized that he needed some other people from that era to write stuff. So he started going after that. And I started looking through my photographs and John had originally said, let's make it with my writings and your photographs. We'll make a, the Snowmaster book. Only that. And then he realized that there was other th stuff out there that was really well written and I started digging into stuff and I realized that there was other photographs. And the way I did that book is the way you do these interviews. I got in my car. I called that person. I drove to them. I brought my scanner with me. I dug out the stuff from the garage. I scanned it. I organized it. I gave them a copy. I shook their hand and I went home. And every single person was, when you do that, you build a force. You build this creative force because you're now bringing people into your art. And I realized that very early on with Stone Masters, one, one person leads to another person leads to another person. And if you walk a path of respect, honor, and trust with your friends and with others, they will show you that. And they will give you what you need to honor their stories and your friends' stories and to bring it forward. And I realized the only way to do it, even in this digital age, is not through a text, but is to touch someone's hand or to go to someone's house to sit there and take care of that uh, and to talk to that person. And, and, and uh, so we made this book and when it came to publishing it, um, I, uh, well, this, so we make, we make this manuscript kind of, we got all these photos scanned and we've got all this text. The next step is you go to a designer. So Glenn Denny's book had come out the year before and, and I really liked the designer and the designer's name is Tom Adler and he does surf books. So through my connections at Patagonia, I got his number and I called him out of the blue and he goes, who's this? I go, they gave me your number at Patagonia. He's like, I, I got to talk to these guys. He goes, what? He goes, you got 30 seconds. I go, okay. Uh, well, uh, it's about rock climbing in the seventies, a group called the stone masters. Uh, I have words and text. And he goes, yeah, he's all right. He goes, uh, I'm interested. He goes, uh, how many words? I go 50,000. He goes, how many photographs? I go, 110. He goes, hmm. He goes, how many pages? I go, 200. I'm just guessing. <laughs> right? But I'm, and, and I go, he goes, what size? And I give him a size. And he goes, 
well, that sounds like a great book. And I, I go, yeah, and I'm, I can feel him opening up on the phone. I go, yeah, and I have these ideas for the layout. And he goes, oh, I'm not interested in your book. I go, huh? He goes, well, if you have ideas, keep them to yourself. I'm a designer. I go, oh, okay. I go, no, I don't have any ideas. He goes, tell you what, come over here next week um, and bring me some money. <laughs> and the photos and the text. You're like, oh. And I go, oh, damn, and I had like, I literally had like six or $700 in my bank account. And, and so I, I go, all right. So I took out 500 bucks. I was living out in Joshua Tree and I drove, he lives in Santa Barbara and I was driving up there early in the morning and I end up, sorry, I ended up um, stopping in Ventura and getting something to eat at the, uh, the Vaughn store. And so I got some sushi or something and I pulled over at this little pullout that's, uh, uh, a public parking lot where people go jogging and such. And I, to the left of me was a BMW uh, with a woman eating breakfast, I think. And to the right with me, a guy was on the phone and he was eating something. And so I started to eat. And I had this old beat-up pickup truck at the time. And it looked like kind of a homeless vehicle because it was a climber's vehicle. And uh, But I had been on this two-year quest. I had all this material. I was going to this top-end designer. And he was going to give me a, a chance, right? And I felt... Uh, really alive and really happy. And I felt like I was going to accomplish something in my life. And I look in the mirrors and there's two cops with their guns drawn coming up the side of the car. And then they put it back in the holster and they look at me and they go, could you step out of the car, please? And I go, well, what's the problem, officer? I mean, windows roll down. I go, they go, what are you doing? I go, I'm, I'm, I'm eating. And like those guys are in the BMW and, and that woman over there and, uh, they go, are you, do you live in your car? I felt really kind of humiliated because sometimes I do, you know? And I said, I don't think that's any of your business. They go, what are you here for? I go, well, actually I have a meeting. And I started to vocalize what that meeting was. And I could feel in my throat that I was going to cry, uh, and then they just sort of backed off, left me alone. And I, I ate and I went and saw the designer and he laid out all the photos and all the stuff. And he goes, this is fucking amazing. Give me the money and uh, give me a few days. And he came up with the rough first draft of the Stonemaster book, which was amazing. And at that time, Mike Graham from Grumichi Products decided he was going to uh, uh, help publish the book. And so we formed this company, Stonemaster Press, and uh, and the book came out, and it was really beautiful. Uh, and I realized at that moment in my life that I think I had been making art for myself to satisfy me. And when that book came out, so many people came up to me <clears throat> and were so happy that I made that book. And that meant a lot. Like my friends, all my friends. They were like, congratulations. And I was like, what? The book, it's amazing. And I was like, huh. Because nobody had ever, ever said that to me about any of my work. Stone nudes, people call it porno, people call it this. Some people love it. But when that book came out, that meant something to me. Very strongly, like, I think... uh I think when Bridwell saw that book, he said, you gave something back. 
And uh, I think earlier too, you know, when I first made the first Stone Nudes calendar, just to go a sidebar, I shown it to Backer and I said, I need money to publish this thing. And he looked at me and he says, how old are you? I go, 42. He goes, you're 42 and you don't have anything. You don't have a pot to piss in. You have no money, no house, no nothing. I go, I don't have enough to make the calendar. I don't have anything, no. And he goes, huh, kind of laughed at me. And I kind of left. And uh, a few weeks before he died, we were talking. Because, you know, I don't hold things against people. If I love someone, I love them. I let things go. Um, and he... Uh, I ran into him, you know, a little bit before I called him or he called me and he said, Hey, um, you know, when I told you that you didn't have any money and I laughed at you and, uh, he goes, I'm sorry. He goes, you have a lot. I think he was losing his house at that point. I kind of think he realized that money was not important. So he said, yeah, you have a lot. And that meant, you know, and, and Bridwell telling me, Hey, you did a great job on that book. Thank you. You know, I think, uh, it keeps you going, you know, and when you're working with your friends, but you know, uh, we were all really happy. The Valley climbers that the Valley uprising was coming out. And I did a lot of work with that. A lot of my photos were in that. So you, you start to get, you know, I don't get recognition outside of climbing, not like Jimmy Chin and, you know, Greg Epperson, a lot of other photographers. I get this recognition within climbing and I get this recognition from, from photographers. I'm kind of a photographer's photographer. Like they all know my work. They've all grown up on it and they love it and it's inspired them and their work inspires me and, and, and other climbers like pro climbers or top end climbers for some reason. I mean, they know I've worked with all these people over the years and you have this instant trust and rapport and, and respect that's not coming from the fact that I've never climbed hard numbers. It has nothing to do with that. It's coming from the fact that I'm a member of my community and I give back as much as I can. So, uh, I've continued making books. Uh, I've made four. The last one was Yosemite in the fifties, the iron age. And that was an amazing journey because I got to see all my heroes, Glenn Denny, Tom Frost, Wayne Mary, um, Mark Powell, Alan Stack. And they were all super, super open to me, super helpful uh, super mentoring, whatever I wanted, whatever advice I've ever needed. And, uh, and so I'm now working, uh, after that book, right around the time of that book, uh, right before it came out. In fact, I, I was in Yosemite and living in this little area that I lived that no one kind of knew about. And except for Dean Potter and he showed up and we were hanging out and I showed him a, a digital copy of the book and he was amazed. And he suggested, we make a book. And I had been asking him to make a book for years. And I go, yeah, yeah. And we, we started knocking the idea around what the book would be. And he was super psyched. And I was super psyched. And he was going to Europe for a few days. And then he'd be back. And we were going to talk more about the book. And he went to Europe for a few days. And he came back. And then he uh, uh, died base jumping in Yosemite. And uh, that was uh, very strong for me. So... Um, so that's the book I'm working on currently is it's the book about Dean Potter, Jim Bridwell, my mentor died. I was there when he took his last breath as a representative of the stone masters. Someone had to be there. And John, John long asked me since he was not in the country. And I of course showed up and was there. And then recently, most recently Charles Cole, who was going to fund the Dean Potter book passed away. 
another person who believes in you very strongly. So you lose these people, and I, um, I think I was telling someone this, someone who I respect, have known for a short time, but you know, a really interesting person, and I said, um, it's hard when you lose people who, who believe in you, because like, I kind of feel like no one believes me. And he looked at me and he goes, Dean, there's a lot of people that believe in you. And so you continue on. You continue on with your life. You continue gathering these, these uh, stories and these images and you pass them forward in the hope that, for me, in the hope that I bring art into climbing, that I inspire more art. And that's kind of like... <clears throat> Kind of like what happened with Stone Nude. So I made my last Stone Nude night. This is probably the last calendar after 20 years of making this. I've gained an incredible amount from Stone Nudes and from climbing and from making these books and from my friends. And uh, the one thing that still echoes in my head is what do you have to give the climbing beam? So when I made the last photo, I kind of felt like I was at the end of a journey. I'm going to make another book, a volume two of Stone Nudes, but no more calendars. Because uh, I need to start giving back a little bit more, I think. And so what I'd like to do in the next couple of years is help manifest a creative force in, in climbing and adventure art. And in the 20 years I've been doing Stone Nudes, People like Renan Ozturk, who is a very good friend of mine, who I met very early in his career, have made huge strides in, in making art. Jeremy Collins, another guy who, who you know, came after um, I started. And Renan started, I mean, he ran the same time as Renan, I believe, maybe a little bit earlier. But anyway, Jamie, a number of others, a number of other photographers that I've kind of mentored or influenced or helped in their career. Mikey Schaefer, who I introduced to the photo editor to Patagonia very early on before he was even thought of himself as a photographer, but I could see he had a lot of talent and that they saw things a little differently or that they were hopefully somewhat influenced by my path to make uh, a photographs that express the joy of, of, of your passion. And so what I would like to do is try to manifest uh, some sort of structure that allows me to mentor artists in climbing or, mountain biking or slackline or base jumping or anything like that who want to make a book or a film or uh, want to see things a little differently in their passion. If I can somehow help guide them or inspire them or give them a structure that allows for them to, or even you know, directly support their, their path in, in gathering stories about their, their passions and their friends and their history and, and bringing those forward I think that I would uh, be giving something back. And, and uh, climbing is giving me my life, my, all my friends, all my dreams. And when something gives you that, it goes beyond love. And uh, if I can pass that out, pass that, pay it forward, if I can inspire someone, if I can, you know, do anything like that, I, I would love that. And I'm going to continue making my photos on my community. I have lots of projects. I'm going to continue making uh, the book about Dean Potter. I'm going to try to make a book about Jim Brewer. I'd love to make a book about the stone monkeys. Um, I have people lined up to make things and, and I have a lot of um, right now in my life and my career 
where I'm at, I have a lot of trust from a lot of people. And with trust, you can do anything. Uh, I can go anywhere to anyone and ask them to help with a project and they will say yes. And I feel that in order for you, well, people to trust you in that manner, you have to have a lifetime of walking a path that shows who you are. So I feel lucky. So you mentioned you have this Kickstarter for the uh, Stone the, Nudes. Yeah. Have you, I mean, this is your, is this like your first foray into that kind of fundraising? No. Because I, the, the Dean Potter book, the, the um, Jim Bridwell book, mm-hmm. I just feel like those types of things. Exactly. You, I mean, I think you might be, you know, blown away, at least pleasantly surprised at mm-hmm. the the contributions to that kind of thing. I mean, yeah, I've no, seen, for sure. I, I mean, I've seen the dumbest yeah. shit in the world yeah. get funded yeah, yeah. on Kickstarter. Yeah, I and, did a Kickstarter before okay. for the 2015 calendar, right. so that would have been 2014, mm-hmm. and it was successful, and this one looks is looking very good at this moment. Um, and I had decided exactly what you you come up with mm-hmm. um is uh mostly the f- I, I need f- usually funds simply to gather the material mm-hmm. well, i would do a kickstarters for publishing because now mm-hmm. you're giving someone mm-hmm. something and i like that concept and i think that um that's the new paradigm for publishing honestly you're pre-selling the book to people who want to buy your book mm-hmm. that yeah. will allow your book to happen right you know, or film or what have you and it makes a lot of sense because you're not you're not asking anybody for a handout. You're giving them the product, mm-hmm. uh, the end thing. And I think that for certain, I, I've thought about that quite a bit. And I've actually even talked to a number of climbing companies and publishers. I go, this is the way things are going to be done in mm-hmm. the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the future is right now. I go, public funding, crowdsourcing of your books makes complete sense. Because that's paying for your your production costs, and then you have whatever profit you have left over. But the the main thing is you're getting that book directly to the audience that wants that book. Well, and you've you've got. I mean, it's a. a I don't know how to put it. It's a specific taste, I suppose, for the yeah. Stone Nudes. Yeah. But the the Dean Potter book in particular of yeah. the, of the three you just mentioned, mm-hmm. there's a lot of money in climbing now. Mm-hmm. Not not a lot, like compared to you know other things, but compared to what you grew up in right you know we have you know people with a lot of money in our sport now much more so i mean the sprinter van if 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 nothing is a signifier of it it's that thing this is true right yeah especially the the sportsmobile ones but anyhow (laughs) you know i think i just i just can't believe that there wouldn't be a a major hunger for that yeah to get done and and for Mm -hmm. people who contributed to see that that is an important tribute, an important thing to mm. signify in our climate. Because definitely an important document. And Dean, you know, he was controversial. He he, you know, was a total maverick. But there's nobody that now can deny what influence he had on yeah, climbing. For and, certain. and if it just fades away or it goes into sort of like an annal of history. Yeah. I'm just encouraging you because I just, yeah. that one in particular, I just can't imagine people aren't going to pony up yeah. and I was, that, significant that was amounts idea. of money yeah. just to make sure it gets, gets done. done. Yeah. Even if their one book isn't yeah. what they're really after. Right. And I agree with that. Yeah. And, and like I say, this is, 
it, it took, you know, I mean, Dean had been around since my first book and he was the one to introduce me to Glenn and he helped me with as much as he could with all my projects. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, you know, when, in discussing that book and I'd been chasing him for years about mm-hmm. that book. And then when he finally said, you know, when he saw the fifties book, he goes, you're ready, you know, let's make this book. And we knew what kind of book and basically it was his words and then, then the photos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's kind of what I'm going to keep it to. I've, you know, sourced about 20,000, 25,000 of his words. And I'll add probably another five to 10,000 words in, or my editor, James Lucas will. And I'll put in a, you know, 110 photos, make right. it a 200 page book, but whatever it's, it's him talking about what he did and mm-hmm. putting it into the timeline so we can see the evolution mm-hmm. when he started soloing to when he started bass soloing free bass as he calls it. Um, so that book is, is what I'm really kind of focused on as mm-hmm. well as, mm-hmm. and that one reason why I ended Stone is because it's, I've been trying to get this book done for two years now, almost three since he died, but two seriously trying to get into it and i've been kind of shut down by various things but I, i'm i'm going to make the book right it's going to happen i have you know prospects out there to, to do that and then i will probably kick start it because i do feel like once again like you say but it's matter bringing your community together for for those projects and then i want to use that as a model for further right projects within you know the climbing climbing arts um well dean for god's sake kickstart some money in there for you Uh, you know it's okay it's okay to pay yourself something to do these projects i'm always broke at the end of the project i know that's what i'm saying it's not some i'm happy and depressed at the same time you're not like disrespecting anyone's memory or anything by making some money up there it's okay all right (laughs) if you need to see another therapist about it just like Kickstart. I mean, honestly, there's a, a chunk of that change has to go to your operating costs, aka paying yourself to do it. All right. I have. Uh, um, I got to tell you this little story about is that. Me. Okay. Yeah. I, I live in I live in El Portal right now in Yosemite, El Portal, which is threatened, but threatened by fire. At this moment, yeah. But I'm actually caretaker at Sean Leary's place. Mm-hmm. Sean Leary is a really good friend of mine, and he died in a base jumping accident. Super talented climber and just an amazing human being. Mm-hmm. Um. And uh, so the other day, uh, I, I, I have been supporting myself for a number of years by mopping floors three nights a week at the Iwani for Best Bet, which is Ken Yeager, who's the Yosemite uh, mm-hmm. Climbing Association. And I worked three nights uh, a week, like two hours a night, and he paid me very well. Pretty good, actually. And uh, so uh, the chemicals would eat through my 510 shoes. And... Uh, and anyway, I, the job ended because he, he lost that particular contract. But, uh, and so I didn't have any money for shoes. And um, I didn't know anyone 510 because they moved to Europe. And so I was looking around the house and I found a right guide tenny that looked pretty good, that had been used, but looked good. Then I dug around the house for a bit more and I found a left guide tenny. But they were from two different years. But they fit. And they were Sean's, Right. And so uh, I, I've been wearing them. I don't have them on now, but they're outside. But anyway, I've been wearing them, and I was uh, in Yosemite, and somebody walked up to me, and they looked down at my shoes, and they go, huh, those are two different shoes. I go, yeah. And they go, so someone lost two different shoes. And I go, no, I found two different <laughs> shoes. <laughs> and so it's like, one of my favorite Potter stories, and I have a, a ton of Potter stories because we adventured hard, but one of my favorite ones was um, he was in Europe 
and um, we were emailing back and forth. And he was coming back on a particular day, and he wanted to talk to me, just hang out. And I said, well, you know, I have to go to Southern California really early in the, that next morning because um, I think I found someone, that, and this was Mike Graham, who was going to publish the Stone Master book, and I don't want to miss this meeting, and I got to go early, and... and uh, I go, and I might be away a little bit because I don't have any money, you know, and, but I'll be back and we'll, we'll hang, you know? And he goes, he goes, I want you to go sleep at my house. He had these two places in Yosemite West and go sleep up there. I'll be, I'll be there in the morning. You know, I want to talk to you. All right. So I went up there and right about four in the morning, right before I was going to get up, I hear this monkey call. Ooh. And I knew it was him. I knew his call and I hear this coffee. And so I, 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 I hooted back and uh, got dressed and went down there and he uh, he had made coffee for me. And we just talked quietly about his trip and about you know some future plans we had to make some photos. And uh, I go, I better go. It's getting light. And he looked at me and he had this uh, this belt that he always used to wear. It was a piece of one inch full strength webbing. And he goes, hey, whoa, wait a minute. And he I took off I the belt. I remember from the... the, the, the... Some of the photos. From, yeah, some yeah. of the films and photos. So he took off the belt. He goes, hang on a second. And, you know, the ends were burned together. And he takes a knife and he cuts off one end. And he works the webbing and he pulls out two $100 bills. <laughs> and he goes, here. And, you know, I didn't want to take his money, but I, I didn't have any money. I had enough gas to get down there, maybe enough to get halfway back. So I took the money and I said, hey, man, I'll pay you back. And he goes, no. No. Keep it. And I go, hey, why do you have that money in there like that? He goes, you never know when they're going to be chasing you. folks thanks for coming along on that journey with dean pretty good stuff there again i want to thank him for sitting down it was a lot of fun and he really was instrumental in making it happen making sure that i knew he was in town and giving me the time to come up to boulder and a place to do it through our friend our mutual friend lynn hill so that was super fun being there and talking to dean i hope you guys dug it okay remember haven't talked to you about this in a while. You can help out the Enormacast by going to enormacast.com and clicking on the Help Out tab, seeing what you can do to help out the podcast. It's amazing. I ask you guys to do this, and the amount of reviews, almost entirely positive reviews on the uh, on my iTunes page is astounding. It's like it, it nukes a lot of other supposedly more popular podcasts than mine the amount of reviews I have. And I think that's important to iTunes. But as usual with lots of Apple stuff, nobody knows. Nobody knows how it all works. It's just a big old secret. Anyhow, but thanks for doing that. You can also donate if you wish. And a few other things to help the podcast. And a few other things to help the podcast maintain and gain popularity. I'm like some little poor middle school nerd that just dreams of being popular you need to help me out 
Okay, speaking of nerds, you nerds are out climbing. And of course, the summer is winding down here in the United States of America into hopefully not too long into the beautiful fall time. The fall is beautiful everywhere. It is the time to climb in much of North America. And if you happen to be in another hemisphere, somewhere else where you're looking forward to the glorious spring in the end of the cold, dark times. Either way, look, you have to pay attention all the time, every time you climb. Even if it feels like just a lazy sport climbing day, pay attention, please. Maybe, maybe just like the moment you get out of your truck or your van or whatever, just meditate for like 25 seconds, a minute. Clear your head, remind yourself. It's time to pay attention. Here, do it with me right now, 25 seconds. Okay, was it worth it? Maybe saving your ass or saving your partner's ass? I don't know if it'll work anyway, but that was fun. All right. Don't forget to check your knot. Okay, everyone. Let's get started. Yes, beautiful, feeling it. Let's get some smiles. It's all in here. That's it, yes. Let's let the inside out. Okay, you're an animal. Yes, there we go. You're a tiger. You're Tony the tiger. You're great. Very good. Loving it. Now you're a lemma. Running as a pack. Yes, yes, we go left. We go right. Yes, yes, yes. There's a predator out of the jungle. What's going on? Burrow! Burrow! That's right, you're a lemma. It's all you've got. You don't have sharp teeth capable of biting. Make an interconnected series of tunnels like the Viet Cong. And look, 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 look. I'm not even shooting you. It's crazy. And I'm spent. 